before the fun was just years of grind and hustle and falling down and getting up and learning and unlearning and making mistakes. And although it can be painful and uncomfortable, there's still, for me, in the middle of all of that, there's still excitement and joy and because I'm building a something from nothing. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wild Goose Chase. Joining me today is Craig Harper. Craig is uh, currently doing a PhD in neuropsychology. He's an expert in health, high performance, resilience, personal transformation. Written something like seven books, I think. Craig, is that right? You've written seven books? Plus host of the You Project. You do 14 podcasts a week. You're just like nonstop producing. You're just a producer. Just like what actually gives you the motivation to just continuously pump out such voluminous uh, information all the time. Where do you get that from? Just because I love it. Like I'm in love with the stuff I do. So I think when the job that you do doesn't have a sense of work, you know, like I don't, I haven't had a job in inverted commas goose since I was 26, which was uh, 33 years ago. So I'm 59. So I stopped working for people in my mid-20s and I've worked for me since. And I kind of, you know, you have to do some things you don't like, of course, but for the most part, everything I do, I really, I love, and I'm fascinated with human behavior. My background is in exercise science and high-performance sports and working with teams and athletes and owning gyms and all that stuff. But you get to the point where you kind of understand bodies pretty well, then you get more fascinated with the humans that live in the bodies, which is my thing. And yeah, but I love it. So I don't, you know, even me talking to you, there's no sense of, oh God, I've got to do this thing with this bloke at bloody 10 o'clock on Wednesday to there's none of that. I'm excited to meet you, to learn from you. Um, maybe I can teach you a few things. But in the middle of it all, you know, for me, it's more fun and joy and enjoyment and growth and learning. And I'm, I'm a bit of a lifelong learner. So, yeah, I love it. How do you – what advice would you have to, for people to try and get to that place? Because that's a pretty good place to be. Um, and how, there's a there's a big gap. Most people are doing work so that they can so they can live life. Right? There's these two kind of distinct components of uh, of their existence. There's like I will work so that you know I will work so that I can make money so I can have a good time on the weekend, or I will work so that I can make money and save and retire well. And there's these two distinctly different characteristics of their um, state of existence. That doesn't just exist in kind of like your classic, you know, PAYG employee type thing. That also exists in the context of, of business owners. And how do you, what advice would you have to help people to navigate finding their flow a little bit more? Because I know, pers- I'll just reflect personally, you know, we've been working really hard to grow our business over the last, you know, four or five years. Now, my relationship with the business is changing, which is great. The business is maturing. Um, it doesn't require that I that I put in the same 100-hour weeks of trying to shove the thing into existence. But that can be pretty daunting then because then it's like, well, hang on a second. Who am I without the work and in what relationship can I – how do I find my flow and all that kind of stuff? So, I'd love if you could kind of maybe coach me a little bit through some of this stuff too. I think, I mean, you're always going to go through periods and phases where there's just shit that you've got to do to create the outcome you want to create, and it's not going to be fun, quick, easy, painless, or sexy, and we accept that. Um, and, you know, I've had that in my, like I said, I'm the first personal training centre in Australia, um, which was in 1990, and I ended up employing over 500 trainers and doing all these kinds of uh, fun things. But before the fun was just years of grind and hustle and falling down and getting up and learning and unlearning and making mistakes. 
And although it can be painful and uncomfortable, there's still, for me, in the middle of all of that, there's still excitement and joy and because I'm building a something from nothing. Um, and I think there's there's – I remember I went to this conference years ago, mate, and I was sitting in the audience and I was uh, speaking after uh, the guy that was talking. And he was talking about work-life balance and – and he spoke about work-life balance almost like it was some kind of uh, algorithm that we needed to understand or, or mathematical problem that we needed to solve. And it was almost like if you work this much, this many hours of work and this many hours of non-work, then you get this, the, the scales right and then you're good to go. And I'm thinking there's another really important component and that is the impact that the work has on you physically, mentally, emotionally. And... I could do 10 hours of work a week that I hate and that'll have more of a detrimental effect on my overall health than 80 hours of something I love. So, you know, um, but even I, I think that if you go into whatever the, the learning, growing, developing, transformative process is with your eyes open and you go, look, some of this is going to suck and that's okay, there's an acceptance then it's much easier. but and, and so there's a component of that. There's the thing that I'm doing and there's the reality, that the cognitive and emotional reality that I create around that. So like, for example, with a PhD, there's a lot of it that I don't enjoy. Um, I, don't reading, I don't enjoy reading 40-page academic papers that are horribly boring, right? But it's part of what I've got to do to do the work that I'm doing and the research that I'm doing and write the papers that I'm writing to create the outcome I want to create. But overall, I like it. But there are bits of it that suck, you know. Um, and it, it's cheesy, but if you can, if if what you're passionate about or excited about can intersect with making some dollars, well, then you've, you're not really working. You're just doing a thing that's commercially viable. Do you think it's possible, you, you sort of mentioned in there, like, you know, along the way, some things are going to suck, they're going to be a bit painful, and you need to have an acceptance around that. Do you think that it's acceptance of the kind of pain, for lack of a better term, and acceptance of the struggle, or do you actually think that that's something that people should seek out? You know, is it something that it's almost like if you're experiencing it, you are potentially on the right track? Or do you think that, do you, do you think that's true, or maybe, you know, maybe it's a little bit kind of off on the wrong tangent? Because- you know, kind of the way I th sort of think about it is it's not really possible to enjoy the outcome without the struggle, you know, because beauty is only ever in contrast. You you have to, in order to experience great, you have to, you have to have a reference, a reference point for that. And so, therefore, I mean, I'm just thinking at the moment, let's say I went and started a business and let's say it was just super easy and I didn't have to put in any effort and it made a heap of money. Now that the money might be be cool, but I'd probably have no, I'm hypothesizing here because I haven't done it, but that probably have no deep relationship with this sense of achievement. It'd probably be like, ah, oh, I did something and made some money, but I wouldn't actually feel fulfilled by it. Maybe so then maybe there's a, maybe that's, maybe actually that's more the thing. It's the fulfillment. Like maybe you can't have the fulfillment without the, the pain. Do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And well, I think there's all those great thoughts, right? There's a bunch of stuff around that. Firstly, if you only had peaks and no troughs, well, then your life would be a flat line, right? You think about that if there's only peaks and no troughs. So, and you wouldn't have the joy because, as you said, you don't have the contrast. Um, and in terms of 
you know, you, you make lots of, there's no, of course, there's nothing wrong with making lots of dough, driving a Lamborghini, living in a bloody mansion, looking at the ocean, all that stuff's great. But let's not confuse all of those external things and the situation and the circumstance in the environment with the internal world of the person in the middle of it. So you know, and I know people who are wealthy, who are in inverted commas successful, uh, who are also miserable, who are also sad, who are also disconnected, who are also medicated for anxiety and depression and who can't sleep. So, of course, there's a correlation or there can be a correlation between our external world, where we are, what we have, what we own, what we do, how much dough we have, what people think of us, our brand, our body, all that cool stuff. But but having a big tick in the external world doesn't mean that your internal world, happiness, joy, pain, pleasure, feelings, emotions, values, faith, belief, doesn't mean that that's going to be a great place in inverted commas to live. And we are quite, a, I, I believe our culture is quite lopsided in that. When we talk about successful people, we're only talking about their stuff. We go, oh, look at Goose. He's killing it. He's, he owns this. He's done that. He's da-da-da. He drives that. He lives there. His net worth is that and all of that stuff, and that's great. But if in the middle of that you are lonely and emotionally distraught and you are mentally, emotionally, and spiritually bankrupt, well, then to me that doesn't equal success. But again, now we're getting philosophical and it comes down to the individual. And then back to your first point of pain, well, pain is where you grow and there's good pain and bad pain and constructive and, de and destructive pain. But if I take you to the gym and you look fit and strong anyway, but if you weren't, so I take you to the gym and I go, mate, I'm going to get you in shape. You've got to get uncomfortable. You've got to literally work against resistance. You've got to do hard shit. You've got to um, get uncomfortable. You've got to be consistent. And the byproduct of that discomfort and pain and working against resistance, literally physical resistance, is growth, is improvement, is adaptation, is you become strong, literally strong, more powerful, more flexible. And so too cognitively and emotionally, when we work against resistance, we actually make ourselves better. So that no matter what the context or environment, good days, bad days, pandemics, people loving us, people giving us grief, whatever, tough days, easy days, in the middle of that, we can self-regulate so that we can build our own experiences that are not completely at the mercy of what's going on around us. Yeah, so I'm going to keep pulling on this thread a little bit because I like the thematic and it kind of relates to, um, it kind of pulls you it pulls, it bridges the gap between um, success and potential and resilience as well. And just thinking about that example you gave uh, in the gym, if we were to go to the gym and I might experience a bunch of pain. However, if my deep, passionate, you know, my if my calling for whatever reason, for some, uh, for whatever my goal was to become ripped and big and all of this kind of stuff, then there's a strong likelihood that when I experience that pain, I will associate that with the goal that I'm trying to seek and therefore I can build a positive association with that pain versus um, if somebody uh, rips me off, for example, and I'm like, hang on a second, this is painful, but, I'm, but I, I, I don't know what transformational outcome is on the other side of it, then your only correlation is that it sucks. However... If you were able to, in that moment, instantaneously identify what the transformational outcome is going to be, then you would be able to have gratitude for that pain in that moment. So, for example, if in that moment when you got ripped off and cheated on or somebody did something bad to you unprompted, 
if you could seek out, okay, this is going to help me to become a better person because of X, Y, and Z, you would instantly be able to transform that pain into instant gratitude, which is if you can continue to build that muscle, because I've never had a bad experience in my life that didn't end up being good, depending on how I looked at it. So if you can build up that muscle, you're going to develop significantly more resilience, which in turn is going to give you the capability to endure more um, challenges, which in turn is going to allow you to progress more swiftly, more steadily, more consistently, whatever the metric is for you towards self-actualization, you know, to achieving the, the best version of yourself and becoming the best that you possibly can be. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I love that. So here's here's something that you are naturally good at that, I don't know, maybe you got taught and told and trained this or maybe this is just your default setting. But there's the thing that's going on, good or bad, and then there's your response to it. One, there's the thing that's going on, good or bad, someone ripped me off, clearly bad. But then there's the story that you have about it, right? And then there's the, well, this sucks. I do not want this. I want to punch that bloke in the face, whatever your story is. At the same time, is there a lesson? Is there a lesson? What can I take away from this? And ultimately, you know, like life is unfair. Life doesn't care about your feelings or your emotions or your joy or your success or your life doesn't care. Life's just life. And in the middle of it is you and me. I don't know if I've spoken to you about this before, but we we open the door on this thing that in psychology we call metacognition. Have you heard of that too? Um we we last time we spoke we talked about it and yeah yeah I, yeah, yeah so let's just go there quickly let's again there. so yeah. cognition is thinking about how we think and and so once the thing is done once the the shitty thing is done as bad as it is it's it, whether or not it happened ten seconds or ten years ago either way it's history I can't undo it so now yes it sucks yes it's not fair. But me feeling sorry for myself for the next three weeks, as justified as it might be, doesn't fix anything. In fact, it probably creates more problems. So I acknowledge it. It's not fair. I wish it didn't happen. Um, all of that stuff. But now what do I do? And so one of the biggest challenges for us, period, in life is managing our mind or at least trying to self-regulate our thoughts and responses and behaviours. And so that the inevitability of bad things happening to us is 100%. So beyond that, this this is, you know, when we talk about like your podcast in a way is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's also, it's all about helping people do better, think better, create better, produce better. You know, yours is a different theme to my stuff, but it's the same. We all want a better life. We all want better outcomes, habits, behaviors, thinking, you know, personal growth, all that stuff. But so much of whether or not it's what you do with property, what you do with money, or perhaps in my case, what you do with your body and your health and your you know, nutritional choices or managing your mind, it comes down to that space between your ears, how you self-regulate, how you make decisions, how you respond, the stories that you tell yourself. Um, and we're not pretending that the thing that happened to you doesn't suck. We're not at all. We're not saying just jog it out, mate, it'll be all right. And we're not saying don't worry about it. We're not saying that. We're going, yeah, that that really sucks. I get it. Now what? Like that's the thing, now what? So can I just say, why aren't we just saying just jog it out, should be right? Because th- like the reality of the situation is that any pain or pleasure that you're experiencing is is 100% within your own perception, within your own construct and the own. it, it only has the meaning with which you give it. 
So why are we not just saying like to kind of like dumb it down, get over it because it doesn't really matter anyway? Like why aren't we just saying, I know you you, you think that you're experiencing pain, but actually you, all you need is a different perspective. You know, you, you, and I'd like to kind of weave this in as well with the, you, you sort of said something um, briefly just earlier around, you know, you got interested in the body and then you got interested in the the human who lives in the body, you know, and which I, I think is a, um, I heard I heard the brain or the mind described in a certain way a little while ago that because your mind has no, it receives the sensory data from everything else, but effectively your mind, your you, the I in the, the I am thinking is basically a scared little dude sitting inside a black room trying to work out what the fucking hell's going on out there, right? <laughs> and and so and that and that's kind of all it is. You've just got this got you've got this kind of consciousness um, that sits within this effectively meat, you know, robot that's collecting all this data and just sort of trying to freak out a little bit. But in that context, all it is is data and the interpretation of that data can lead to wildly different perceptions. I know that I can have the exact same experience as my partner, Gabby. We can literally go do the exact same thing and we can respond in completely different ways and neither of us is correct, right? Because both of us is only con- only constructing our response to that based on some perceived, learned, trained, experienced behaviors in the past. And so I guess where I'm trying to get to is my like I really want to help people to unlock a pathway to to achieve their greatest potential to become the best version of themselves you know self-actualization in its truest form same same as you and so I'm trying to actually understand why aren't we just like why aren't we trying to get to a place where every single thing that happens to us we can instantaneously diffuse it doesn't matter how bad it is I mean I'm just go to an extreme example you're a loved person could die, something could happen, you could lose your business. But if you can get to an almost kind of zen-like state where everything just is and everything is okay, surely that is going to set you up to become a better version of yourself along the line. So so why aren't we just encouraging people to, for lack of a better term, get over it, suck it up? Okay, heaps of stuff in there. Thanks for sharing. That's, that's nice insight into you. Um, okay, so if we were mates... Um, and we've never met other than, and I'm sure if you live down the road or I live down the road from you, we would be mates. And and if you were going through some shit, I would go, listen, champ, suck it up, right? And you'd go, I'd go, suck it up. These are the reasons why. And you would probably respond positively. If you were another person, I'd say, suck it up. You'd get offended. You'd spiral and you might be um, hurt and you might not want to talk to me again. And that doesn't mean that that person's bad or wrong and you're good and right. It doesn't mean that. It just means that everyone responds individually. And when you talk about you and your partner going through the same thing, like you don't actually go through the same experience. You go through the same what seems to be experience, the same event, situation, circumstance, but you each have a personal experience that is different. And that's because of all the things um, that we spoke about. And but the main answer to your question is fear. Um, and so what we know is that, you can, con- like, I can, okay, let me personalize this so people might understand a practical example. So I can walk up to uh, do a, a gig where I've got lots of people in a room. I talk at least twice a week to a corporate audience, um, and I've done that for a very long time. Uh, 
that I can still walk up and I'll, I'll be standing at the side of the room and someone's introducing me to come up and speak and I've got evidence, I've got data to support the fact that I'm not terrible at this, I can do it. I've been to this company before, they're paying me to come back. There's some insight in that. But nonetheless, there's something in me that's going, you're shit, you're going to crash and burn, you've just been lucky and this is the day, right? So you can simultaneously intellectually know that you're safe and that you're okay while while feeling um, inadequate. You know, so I think that when you're talking to somebody, you have to, it's not just about logic, it's also about what emotional state are they in and understanding their version of right now, which is literally all the research in my PhD, which is a thing called metaperception and, you know, theory of mind is understanding someone else's reality in this moment. Okay, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more because um, the fear piece is super interesting, right? Because fear primarily is a and you know you're doing the phd so i might say things that are wrong and feel free to tell me that i'm <laughs> that i'm right I, I actually think you have a pretty good intuitive understanding of all this mate and it's probably better that we leave out all the academic jargon and you just share because you're probably going to be on the money okay so you know in my experience and kind of my you know world view Fear is a response that's triggered primarily by your amygdala, which is there to keep you safe, which has been an evolutionary type thing. We have a significantly higher bias towards things being potentially deadly to us because the downside risk of a rustle in the bushes when we're back on the in the plains of Africa evolving, the downside of that being a tiger versus it being something nice, um, you know, stimulates you to to run to save your life. So there's more upside in being freaked out than there is by being brave, broadly speaking. The problem uh, with that is that we have all this different stimulus which triggers our amygdala at all of these random various things which cause us to think things are worse than they are. And so, and there's loads of different research on this, you know, prospect theory and there's been, you know, loads of real good academic research on it and it's somewhere between two times and ten times greater bias towards things being, you know, deadly than being positive. That's the kind of general kind of frame of, of bias. So, if we understand that our brain is effectively lying to us most of the time and making things to seem worse than they are most of the time, based on your uh, research, study, uh, you know, academic pursuit in neuropsychology, how can we start to, what are some practical tips, strategies, or guidance that you might have in how to kind of get over that physiological trigger? Because it seems like we've got a, seems like we've got, something in there that is causing us to be biased in the wrong way, how can we get over that to at least get to a baseline of equilibrium? Well, that's uh, that's the hardest question last minute day. Thanks for that. So you're right. I mean, our brain is essentially has evolved over 300,000 years to be a threat detection tool. And the amygdala specifically, which is the like the emotional epicenter of the brain, um, uh, specifically that's, you know, it's integrated, um, and but but and you're right. Is that we we uh, we default to catastrophe way more than we go. Oh, that's you know. Um, I had a guy on my show recently called Paul Taylor, who's also you know similar to me in the research space and doing all that. And he shared a figure. I can't remember the the citation, but that 96 percent of the things that we worry about don't happen. 
right? And even when they do happen the 4% of the time, generally it's not nearly as bad as we think, you know? So the bottom line is we waste an incredible amount of time and energy worrying about things that will never eventuate. We also waste a lot of time in the now, like right now, this moment in time, as your listeners hear this, obsessing or worrying about or wasting energy on things that happened previously, historically, that we can't change, or potential problems that might happen in the future, which is actually hijacking us in the now. So in the now. Um, and the answer to, to your question is, I think sometimes, you know, if I'm worried about something or I, I feel that, you know, that anxiety or that whatever rise up, that physiological kind of stress, I'll hit the pause button. I'll go, all right, what's this about? Like, what am I actually scared of? So rather than letting it run the show, this is really an exercise in self-awareness and self-regulation, is to go, what is this about? What's my fear? Where's it coming from? Is this logical? Is this illogical? And quite often you can figure it out. You go, okay, I'm scared or I'm anxious and I understand why. Um, you know, like I'll give you a for example. My mum, God bless her, she stacked her car six weeks ago, little Suzuki Swift that I bought her a few years ago, totaled the car, broke six ribs. She's been driving for Shady 3, still cognitively fine, physically fine. I bought her a new car. I drove it up the other day um, and went, ta-da, and she's like, oh, my God, and I, and I sat her in the car and I, let, I said, let's just go for a drive. I sat in the passenger seat. Well, she almost couldn't back out of the drive. So the woman that's been driving for over 60 years um, – and, uh, you know, has driven the same car in the, you know, like she was so overwhelmed with what happened last time that that was very, even though she was safe, even though there was no problem, even though we were going to go for a quiet drive on a quiet street in the country where she lives, um, her brain was hijacking her physiology to the point where she almost couldn't bloody put her foot on the accelerator, right? And, and so we just hit the button and I said, turn off the car for a sec. And I just spoke to her and I said, this is what's going on. I said, it's completely normal. You're not doing anything wrong. You're not weak. You're not broken. And I just walked her through what's happening with her nervous system and why. I said, well, the last time you were behind the steering wheel, you nearly got killed. So, of course, you feel this way. But now is not then. Now, me walking through this with her doesn't necessarily fix it but it gives her a bit of an insight into what's going on. Okay, I like that. I want to relate this now to um, limiting beliefs because sort of it's the same sort of thread, right? But then going back to the same, going back to earlier in the conversation where, you know, we were talking about, you know, effectively people living their best life, this work-life balance thing, they have these two distinct elements of their life and how can you get more to a state where you're living your best life consistently and all that kind of stuff. I've actually been asking people recently, it's been really fun, you know, like you, the question I've been asking people is, if you could remove all of the current constraints in your life, it doesn't mean you're a billionaire, just remove all the current constraints in your life, what would you do? And it's so fascinating. Roughly 90% of people say travel. Um, the other 10% of people say something, something along the lines of uh, move to the country and grow vegetables or something like that. Sort of roughly that split. Super, super, super interesting. But- what is fascinating to me is there's no reason that none of those people can't do all of that stuff like immediately today. T today. I'm like, okay, well, why aren't you doing that? And no one's ever got a good answer. 
it comes down to limiting beliefs. Now, those limiting beliefs could be what's stopping people from traveling the world whilst also doing the things that they love. It could be stopping them from starting the business that they've been most passionate about. It could be, it's typically standing in the way between themselves and what their happiest, most fulfilled state is. Now, this is linked to what we we're just talking about because it's linked to also fear and management of that. So, You've got a vast amount of experience in helping people to unlock their best potential. And so I'd love to know if you've got any advice on helping people to overcome limiting beliefs because I think if people can get, remove, deconstruct all of that stuff they're putting in their own way, they'll suddenly realize that they, they, are, they are only maybe steps, just simple a two or three or four steps away from living the life that they always wanted. So do you have any practical advice on how to get over limiting beliefs? Yeah, so I. what's interesting about beliefs is most of the beliefs that we have, even you and me who kind of like you and I are bloody special, sorry, everyone, but I meant you and I who think about this stuff all the time, right? Like most of my beliefs and most of your beliefs, you didn't choose. They're just there. They arose or they, they developed as a byproduct of just doing life. Now, some of the beliefs that I have and you have, are self-limiting, probably less than we used to have, but we have beliefs that are empowering, beliefs that are self-limiting. We have beliefs that make total sense. We have beliefs that are irrational. But the truth is most of the things that guide our life uh, in terms of um, beliefs and values, perhaps to a lesser extent values, because they, they can't, all of these things just arise as a byproduct often of where we've been, what we've seen, what we've done. But so my thing that I do with people is I try to do an audit on their beliefs. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? Where did it come from? Did you choose it? And, you know, that like the self-limiting beliefs, you know, not good enough-itis or imposter syndrome, we call it, oh, I could never, you know, here's nine reasons why I couldn't succeed. All right, well, give me two why you can. Uh, and they can't, right? So they have a they have a hardwired belief that they're not pretty enough, smart enough, funny enough, fast enough, talented enough, genetically gifted enough, uh, you know, whatever. Oh, I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not an athlete. I couldn't do a 10k run, or I couldn't. I couldn't build a business, or I couldn't do a degree, or I couldn't write a book, or I couldn't become a millionaire, or whatever the story is. While simultaneously, they've never actually genuinely tried. They might have done something for two weeks and then thrown it in, or or perhaps more, but. So there's the questioning of the beliefs and trying to ascertain where they come from. And also remember, like, how we build, how we train our mind, right? I did a podcast the other day called <laughs> How to Train Your Mind and the, the subtitle was or How to Herd Cats, right? Same. But trying to train your mind so that you can manage your mind or self-regulate your thinking ironically doesn't come through thinking, it comes through doing. For example, I have fear in this hypothetical, I have fear around getting up in front of a group and speaking. Um, so how do I overcome the fear of getting up in front of the group and speaking? Well, the answer is by getting up in front of the group and speaking. Like I can't overcome the thing that I won't do. I can't master the thing that I avoid. And I can think about being better at something till I'm blue in the face but it doesn't make me better. It just means I'm overthinking something. 
So the way that I destroy self-limiting beliefs is by leaning into them going, well, we'll see. I'll train for a 10K run. Then I do the 10K run. Then not only do I now believe I can do it, now I think I could maybe do a marathon. And I also think, by the way, I could probably do a personal training course and become it. I could probably set up my own business because I'm fascinated. I could, you know, and that is kind of my story. I was the fattest kid in school and I ended up opening the first personal training facility in the country because of all of that stuff that I was fascinated with. And my confidence grew not because I thought my way into confidence or better beliefs, but my better beliefs were a byproduct of me challenging my self-limiting beliefs and doing stuff that was just uncomfortable and hard. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's almost like the, to, to your point, like courage or confidence comes after the fact. Like you don't, you, do, you don't develop the courage to go do the thing you're scared of. You do the thing that you're scared of then uh, yeah, on the base, on the back of that, then you're brave enough to do the thing, or or you you will have ex- or you will actually have embodied the courage. I want to ask a, another question, and I'm deliberately stitching the things that we're talking about back to previous parts of the conversation to build a big, bigger, and deeper picture. We're talking about um, going back to something you said earlier on about how you've been doing what you're doing for the last I can't remember how many years, and and you, you're still enriched by it every single day and fulfilled and all that kind of stuff. Do you think? that gratitude is the secret to consistency because lots of people aspire to certain outcomes. If you go back 10 years uh, and compare yourself to to today, uh, if you go back 20 years and compare yourself to today and anyone who's listening to this to do the same thing, you're obviously going to have evolved. You're going to have, you're going to be, you know, di- you're going to be, have achieved different things, become different stuff, etc., so on and so forth. We always aspire to grow and to achieve things, but then when we achieve them, we're continuously just aspiring to grow and achieve other things. Now, if you suddenly were to create a life where you got to travel around and go to sit on tropical beaches every day and travel the world and everything like that, would that sounds amazing to most people, but if you did it, you'd probably get sick of it and then be, become dissatisfied and everything like that versus if you just had gratitude for it every day. Same thing goes with going to the gym every day. Like, Why would you continue to do that every day for 40 years? So my question is, do you think gratitude is the key to consistency? I think it's part of it. And so I would say gratitude, self-awareness, and on a really fundamental, practical level, habits. Like I'm consistent because I've got a bunch of behaviors that are hardwired into my subconscious. So when people say to me, how do you stay motivated to train every day after, you know, I started at 14, that's 45 years ago, and I've probably missed in 45 years, I've probably missed maybe 40 workouts, right? Um, and it's because, it's not because I'm obsessed. I don't go to the gym and train like an animal every day. And some days I don't go to the gym. I'll train at home or I'll train at the beach. I'll train at the park. doesn't matter. But it, I don't need discipline, self-control, willpower, or inspiration because that's literally hardwired into my operating system. And I think one of the challenges is um, while being grateful and self-aware, and I'm very grateful because I was born into privilege in that I was born in Australia, so for me, that's privilege. Um, and, uh, you know, while being grateful because also I work with a lot of people who really have what I call real problems. I don't have any real problems. My, my life is quite comfortable in that sense, I guess. But, but being able to have, I guess, an operating system that you've designed over time or developed over time that is consistent with who you want to be and how you want to be, that is kind of just hardwired into your 
subconscious and your day-to-day operating system. The thing is that motivation doesn't work, inspiration doesn't work, willpower doesn't work, self-control doesn't work if we're talking about forever because all of that stuff comes and goes because we're normal and human. And while willpower, inspiration and discipline and self-control can be good, I don't want to rely on them. Like nobody needs to be inspired or to be, you know, cheered on to go and clean their teeth every day because it's a habit that's hardwired into our morning rituals, right? For most people anyway. And so it's trying to identify what are the things that align with my best life, with my best version of me, with my best emotional, mental, physical health. What are the things that align with that? Um, and how do I make those just part of my normal, my cognitive, emotional, behavioral default setting so that this is just, it's like I don't drink or smoke. I've never had a glass of booze, uh, not because I'm special or great. I just grew up uh, training and as a bit of an athlete when I was young and watching all my mates drink and fall down and make dickheads of themselves, and it didn't appeal to me. Uh, I'm not against alcohol. I'm against the abuse of alcohol, of course, but um, but I just never drank and I never did drugs and I never smoked. So there's no, you know, when I'm out somewhere and everyone except me is drinking and eating junk and whatever, it, it's not, I don't, I'm not trying to be disciplined or I'm not trying to exercise willpower. I'm just being me in the middle of an environment that is, you know, not necessarily reflective of how I act. But again, not good. I think we all go, This I go, I've got one body, one life. What do I want to do with that body and that life? And you can opt. I don't have great genetic potential. So in order for me to have a fit, strong, healthy, functional body, which is a really nice platform for the rest of life, by the way, then there are certain things that I just needed to adopt, which would just become habitual. Awesome. I love it. So developing an operating system, but also developing an identity. Because what you're talking about there is the reason that you're able to maintain consistency is because you're, because of your identity. Now, I am someone who has drunk excessively and everything like that. In fact, just at like five five ish years ago, I was a alcoholic drug addict living on my office floor. You know, going nowhere fast, weighed about 30, 40 kilos more than I do today. Not not great. And um, you know, I quit, went cold turkey. Good, good. Been sober. Fantastic. Now the thing is. The reason that it is not a challenge for me is because I changed my identity. My, I, I am not someone who tries not to drink or anything. I, I don't drink. Like, I, that's it. I don't drink. Like, it'd be really fucking weird if I went and drank because I don't drink. I'm not the kind of person who does that. And so, developing the identity piece was probably the biggest hack in all of that because I just said, I'm not that person anymore. Now, that requires personal transformation. That requires that you actually become somebody else and, you know, went through a massive transformation in my life and loads of all of that kind of stuff. But it really came down to that identity. And also, you're right about the operating system. And so, I'm going to, this is leading to a question, by the way. But if you had to develop an operating system for, if you had to give someone some advice on how to develop an operating system, what do you think would be some practical ways of doing it? The ways that I'm thinking about it would be, for example, to um, break, identify the different areas in your life. So it could be health, wealth, and relationships. You could go a little bit deeper than that. You could say uh, money, career, um, uh, uh, friendships, uh, relationships. You could kind of go a little bit deeper. And then you could build out performance metrics that you're seeking to achieve on those specific things. Like, for example, I go to the gym every day. Great. 
so then you can measure it and you can track it and you're effectively building an operating system or KPIs for yourself to know if you're on track. But the thing you would be on track to achieving would be becoming your optimized identity, your optimized self. And so to a certain degree, in order to then operate the system, you need to start to mentally become that identity. I am the kind of person who does this kind of thing because that is who I am. And I'm wondering um, if, based on kind of what I put there, like how would you think about giving someone advice around the kind of identity transformation type piece and then practically implementing an operating system so they can become the best version of themselves? Yeah, great. Well, congratulations, by the way. And I don't mean that, you know, flippantly or, or patronizingly. That's for you to do what you've done. I worked with alcoholics and addicts for a while as a director of health and addiction treatment center one day a week. <clears throat> Bloody amazing. And quite rare, quite rare to go cold turkey and do what you've done and requires a lot of stuff, a lot of strength and a lot of resilience. And so bloody amazing and well done you. Um, so to your question, uh, like, look, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a three-step plan, but what you suggested, which is like, let's, you know, like here's my health, here's my mental health, emotional health, here's my business, here's my lifestyle, here's my, here's how I want to be and all that stuff. I think you can do that. I also think you can go, like on a really simple term, um, what are my values? On a really simple level, I should say, what are my values? Like what are the things that really matter most to me, really matter most to me? And it doesn't matter what they are because they're yours. It's not like you've got to meet someone else's expectations or there's a, there's a criteria that's right and wrong. So what are your values? And then how do I build a life around those values? And then in terms of those values, who I want to be and how I want to be and why I want to be that, in terms of that, what are my non-negotiables? Like my absolute real deal, non-fucking negotiable, this is me now. Not, oh, I'll see how it goes. I'll, I'll give it a go. Not that, but literally, what am I not doing anymore? What's the thing that I'm never doing again? What's the thing that is my new normal? And yes, before anyone says it, this is all easier said than done. Completely acknowledge that. But that's where we grow. We go where we grow, which is the hard shit. If it was easy to be awesome, everybody would be. They're not. If it was easy to be successful, everybody would be. They're not. This is why we try to identify what is, you know, in this context of this, com what is high performance or what is success, you know? And so identifying your values and non-negotiables. And I do a really simple thing, Goose, which um, I'll share if you've got one minute, which is like a four-step thing with people. And I go, okay, what's the thing that you want to achieve? Don't overthink it, just what? And they go, oh, I want to lose 30Ks, for example. And I'm just, this is typical, but I'm just giving a very uh, understandable example. I want to lose 30Ks. And then I go, why? And they go, well, and then you dig into the why and they go, well, I want to be perhaps more potentially attractive to a partner. I want to be able to wear different clothes or I don't want back pain when I get out of the chair. I want to be able to pick up the grandkids or the kids or whatever it is, right? So the what is usually just the conduit or the perceived conduit or pathway to the thing they really want. And then, okay, you want to pick up your grandkids. You want to be able to do a fun run. You want to wear different clothes, perhaps more self-esteem, blah, blah, blah. And then we go, but then, but why? And the bottom line is that, well, I want to be happier. I want to be more fulfilled, you know. And so I, I go the, the what, um, the why, the next bit is the how, how are you going to do it, what's your plan, what's your structure, and the next bit is the when, what's your timeline, when are you starting, why aren't you starting today? 
um, and just break it down because we are very emotional and at some stage you've got to, while still being emotional, you need to wrap it in some strategy. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting on your hands. You're going to wake up in a minute. You'll be five years older. Still be having the same inner dialogue about the same <clears throat> the same things that you're not changing. Yeah, well, a goal without a plan is just a wish, right? So you can be like, yeah, I want to be, I want to be fit and healthy, but unless you've got a plan to go do it, you just you just you're just making stuff up. So I want to well, just- unless you've got a plan, unless you execute the plan as well. True, you know, true. Like plans are great, but plans are worth whatever you, you know. It's like you you and I talk to audiences. I spoke to an audience on the weekend, sorry to interrupt, and I went, at the end of it, I went, put up your hand if you're more motivated, and every hand went up, and I went, well, that's going to pass. And I said, put up your hand if there's something that, you know, you want to do, be, create, change, all that stuff. And and I said, look, this is going to sound, because we just had fun, we connected, it was, there were good stories, it was interesting, and I said, let me tell you something that you don't want to hear, but it's the truth. Statistically, most of you won't do anything, because that's just what happens. So I want you, I want to challenge you to be an anomaly. I want to challenge you to be atypical because my job is to come in here and talk, inform, educate, inspire, maybe make you laugh, maybe tell a story. And then they give me heaps of money and then I go home, right? Done. I'm done. But what I want you to do is I want this moment in time, not because of Craig Harper, but because of you, I want this to be a turning point. And it can be a turning point if you do what's required. I like this. I like the idea of the like actually putting a practical kind of plan in place as well, like an actual. But it also comes down to to the values, and I wanted to pick up on that you you mentioned earlier because the values is super important because you can actually end up optimizing to something that's going to make you deeply unhappy if you're optimizing towards the wrong outcome. So, and then you know, happiness is happiness is a feeling that you get when you are living in alignment with your values because you're going to be in flow, you're going to be in that optimal state where you're doing the things that matter most to you. Now, I'd like to ask if you've got any advice on how to define those values so that people can build a plan towards the right outcomes. And the context around the question is this. It's easy to say, well, your values are... are you, you, your your activities or your the way your behaviors kind of dictate your outcomes. So if you're the kind of person who spends loads of time with family, family might be one of your highest values. However, what I would say is that most people aren't living in their optimal, most optimized, happiest, most fulfilled state. And if you looked at the way they currently spend their time and the things that they currently do and said, well, that's representative of your, of your values and then you optimize towards that, you're going to be optimizing for unhappiness. And so you've kind of got the current state of the individual and you've got the behaviors in the past and then you've got the behaviors in the future and the behaviors in the future should be optimizing towards values which may not be being lived in the past state so most people don't have an accurate reference point of what their true values are possibly because they haven't spent enough time in metacognition thinking about thinking um, to define that so how can you if this is a new concept to someone how can you help people to kind of crack elite at least Maybe not solve the question, but at least show them where to start pulling on the edges of the wrapper to unwrap the outcome. Yeah. So, again, we spoke before about doing a stock take, but I, I think it's almost like with this, you could you could do a, a stock take of how you're living, what you're doing. Like most people that are – if I say to most people, um, is one of your values physical health? Very few people say No. And then I'd, then I'd say, all right, no self-loathing here, just honesty and self-reflection. 
is your current operating system reflective of that? And the truth is, for most people, no. And so I think the starting point is to go, well, what are the things? Because your values are the things that are important to you. And then you say, well, it's like my mum and dad are crucially important to me. And it's I can do a really quick check as to whether or not my behaviour is reflective of that. And if if I, and, and it is because I love them and I spend as much time with them as I can and I support them and I protect them and I all these things that I can, could I be better? Of course I could. But for the most part, that value of loving my family, looking after my family is reflected in my behaviour, which means in that context, I'm in alignment. Now, if I, for example, did a talk tomorrow and I spoke to a company about health, wellness, fitness, blah, 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 and then I went straight from there to the Golden Arches and bought 30 bucks worth of junk and then shoved my face, despite what I'd just done and what I'd just said, now I'd be living out of alignment because how I live is not reflective of what I talk about or what I allege are my values. So there's got to be alignment between how I am living and what I am proclaiming to be is important to me. And that's a, you know, and that's really easy self-assessment because you're either doing it or you're not doing it. And if you're not doing it, again, no beating yourself up, no self-loathing, just like, and this is one of the hard things, Goose, especially I think women are better than at men than this, but you know, we dudes, we have ego, we want to look good, we want to be right. But the truth is, for me anyway, and I've been working on me for a long time, I'm still flawed, I still get trapped in ego, I still say dumb shit, I still do dumb shit. But I try and be as transparent as possible. Because the more honest I am and the more authentic I am, then the less I have to worry that I'm going to be caught out. <laughs> but also, I just want to be that person. Like I am a perpetual work in progress and, and I'm 80% student, 20% teacher, and that will never change. Yeah, I love it. And I think if people can take that approach to themselves as well, because I'm lucky enough to have these kind of conversations with lots of people and sometimes groups of people as well. And it's so interesting when you start to crack open this idea of like, what is your best life? Like, who do you actually want to become? Like, what does this look like? And you know, most people don't spend the time on goal setting. They're never really, they're never really working out where they're going. They're just doing stuff every day, and they're just blindfolded basically. And then you start to open up the door, and you're like, "Great, okay, so now start to build a picture of what your future life looks like." And two things are two things are true. Number one, most people have no idea what they're doing, and number two, when they start writing it down, it's probably going to be completely wrong. And the reason it's going to be completely wrong is because they've never, they haven't exercised the muscle to really tease out what actually is important. You know, like is it the the Lambos that I see on social media, or is it the um, ability to read a book in the sunshine in the morning every single day? You know, like what is the actual vision of happiness and success uh, for those individuals? Um, I'm mindful of time. I want to ask a slightly different question, just to kind of um tease out something as well which i'm interested in if you woke up tomorrow and you had nothing nothing that you'd created none of the you project none of your reputation none of your audience um none of your money none of your nothing just like nothing you but you've got all the intellect you've got everything you wake up tomorrow but everything you've got is gone and you can't leverage any of the contacts that you've got because they also don't know who you are my question to you is would you seek to try and rebuild the exact same thing that you've got or would you take the opportunity to carve a different path in your life and why? That is a very good question that I've never been asked. Um, I would 
I would endeavour to get back somewhere. <coughs> excuse me, somewhere near where I am. But I would do some things differently. Obviously, I've learned from my mistakes, um, and I would uh, I would try to be perhaps more efficient. But if I was if I woke up tomorrow and all those things had changed, except I'm still me. Well, I'm still fascinated in human behaviour then, and I'm still interested in people and potential and possibilities and power and success and all the dynamics and interpersonal stuff of the human experience. So I'm still going to inhabit that space um i don't know that if it was i don't know that i would start a podcast though um like i've been i've had podcasts for seven years and starting a podcast right now it's it's tough so i might not do that i might not yeah i that's a good question i don't know i i'd probably I'd still be in the space, but I might go and st- – how old am I? Am I the same age in this scenario? Yeah, yeah. It's tomorrow. It's just tomorrow. Yeah, right. It's tomorrow. Um, look, I'd probably do similar stuff. I'd probably just start off coaching people and maybe even if I needed to make a few bucks, go back and train some people in the gym, which is my default setting and my background. Um, yeah, but as you know, it's like when you have no momentum, no brand, no connections, no dollars, no credibility – it's a very different landscape that you inhabit. So I now have a lot of leverage and flexibility and possibilities that I didn't have when I was 20, and that's largely because of the situation that I'm in. So it's a great question, though. Thanks, man. I really appreciate all, all- – yeah, thanks. It's really fascinating, actually, just hearing different people's responses because some people don't think too deeply about it. Other people think very deeply about it. Some people would – say I'd I'd rebuild everything exactly the same which I find really really interesting because if you've spent 5, 10, 15 20 years on a specific path would you really want to go and use the last you know use the next 5, 10 or 20 years maybe you could do it faster doing the exact same thing or would you go do something else anyway just a personal interest in mind to see how people um, take that on board final question um, what is one contrarian belief that you hold to be true what's something that you believe that everybody else does not that you believe is, an, is a universal truth? Um, I don't know if it's that it, that nobody else believes it. Um, the general populace. Yeah. We, well, we kind of covered it, and this is the only thing. There's more, but this is what springs to mind. I believe that mediocrity is a gift. And the reason that I believe mediocrity is a gift, for me anyway, because I am fucking flat out. In fact, I'm aspiring to mediocre, Right. Um, everything that I did in my life initially, I was there was nothing that I was brilliant at, nothing. There was nothing that I was a natural at other than maybe communication, right? But even at school, I got in trouble for talking constantly. There's a fucking shock. Um, but I think that that mediocrity can be a gift in the sense that it means you have to work hard. You have to roll up your sleeves. You need to get uncomfortable. You need to take... If you want to be successful, if you want to maximize what you have and what you don't have, and you want to get to a point where you have some success, influence, control, mastery, then it just takes, you know, like my, I did three podcasts that failed before the podcast, you know, that, that I currently have that, that works. And even then the first 500 episodes, I lost money, right? So I've spent my life doing things for quite a while that either 
didn't work or hardly worked. But when most people would have stopped, I just kept going and eventually built built a level of competence and you know arguably mastery and became quite good at something that I naturally wasn't good at. But my theory in life is that most things that we start at, we're going to be white belts. We're going to get punched in the face and choked and hammered and then eventually you know you just keep going back to the metaphoric dojo you train you develop more skill more resilience more situational awareness you get punched in the face eventually you're a yellow belt and maybe over whatever time period you become really good at that thing you become a black belt at podcasting or a black belt at property or making dough or a black belt at solving problems or doing art or whatever but but you know a lot of the athletes that I've worked with, with pursuant to this conversation, Goose, when I first met some of them, I'm like, this dude or this girl is a freak because genetically and athletically they tested off the charts. So this is back when I was working as an exercise physiologist. and But because they'd always been the best in every team, as a junior they'd been the best, and then in kind of suburban whatever, football or netball or basketball, or athletics, they were the best. They didn't have to train hard. They didn't have to try hard. They were just the best. And then when, because they'd never had, they'd never been mediocre and they'd never had the kind of adversity that most of us have, they got into an elite space and capitulated because they weren't tough. They had no resilience. They couldn't rebound. They, they weren't used to being the 15th best player in a team. They couldn't cope. And so I think mediocrity and, and having to navigate life, being not hugely talented, is sometimes a gift. Love that. Great way to end the episode. Craig, if people want to find you, if people want to suss out more of your stuff, where should they go? I'll just come to my join, everyone. Hampton, just rock on. Uh, come over. No, uh, at Whiteboard Lessons or Whiteboard Lessons is my Instagram. I do lots of stuff on there. I have a podcast called The You Project. I have a podcast called Life. Uh, my website, just... Google me. Just Google me. I'm around. I'm around. Love to hear from you. <laughs> awesome, Craig. I love every opportunity that we have had to interact. Super fun. Um, really enjoyed it as always. Pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, mate. Appreciate you. Have a good day. Cheers. 